Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is August 6th, 2021, and this is episode 76, part one. I'm probably throwing you off of our normal routine of having new shows every Tuesday morning. It's Friday morning. Normally, we'd be down at Seafair watching the boats qualify and test on the water, but for the second year in a row, there is no Seafair in Seattle. There's no hydroplanes out on Lake Washington, no blue angels in the sky, and it is not the average summer here in Seattle. We had a great race two weeks ago on Tri-Cities, but unfortunately, we're stuck at home and we're missing our racing. I thought this would be a great chance for us to hop on the time machine and travel back for one of Seafair's classic races. And I'm talking about the 1975 Seafair Regatta. 46 years ago, we had nine boats qualify on the waters. Now this year, they came back after that disappointing attempt at racing over at Sandpoint. They had a different race course in Seattle. This is a two and a half mile race course. But this brought nine boats that qualified for the race. In this first segment today, you're going to listen to the pre-race show, which was narrated by announcers Ray McMacken and Mike Fitzsimmons. You'll hear them talk about the racing action, and you'll hear Mike Fitzsimmons go into many digressions about the boat teams and the racers. We also hear some interviews with classic and iconic Heisman racers, including Bill Muncy, Bill Shoemaker, George Henley, and Tom DeEath. You'll also be treated to heats 1A and 1B of the Seafair Regatta. Now tomorrow, yes, tomorrow I'll have part two coming out. Part two will have heats 2A and 2B. Also a recap of the events and the races, as well as a preview of the final heat. On Sunday, part three will be released. That will have the final heat with the winner's interviews and a race recap. These episodes are going to be quite long because this is audio coverage of the entire Seafair Day from King Television. This is the audio of that race. I don't have the video to go with it, so this is the perfect media for us. <clears throat> so this is the perfect medium for us to listen to the audio of that race. Even though we don't have the video, you can still feel like you're down there in the pits or on the shorelines of Lake Washington and enjoying the experience of that race. I do want to mention in this first segment, the audio does tend to get wonky from time to time, so please bear with it. Keep in mind, this is from a 46-year-old cassette tape that uh, ended up being damaged after it was digitalized, but I did preserve the tape, and you'll get to hear the audio for this race. It's fun to listen to hydroplanes in this race because it's only turbocharged Allisons versus Merlin engines, and they talk about that quite a bit, the dependability of Allison's versus Merlin's, how the performances differ from between engines. You also notice that in this race, remember this was a brand new entry for Bill Muncy this year with the new Alice van lines. They were running an experimental turbocharged Allison, which, <laughs> which Muncy despised. He hated this boat. It was a terrible year for him. But needless to say, he's excited about the racing on the water. The week before this race happened, the boats were over in Tri-Cities, Washington, as they normally were the week before Seattle, but it was the Gold Cup. 
Some boats had some repairs from that race that needed to be done, but none was as worse as the Miss Budweiser as it actually sank in the Columbia River. And they worked around the clock, <clears throat> and they worked around the clock to repair the boat to have it ready for the seafair race. Over 200,000 people attended the race in person in Seattle for what turned out to be a great race. If you need to use the restroom before you hop on the time machine, now's your time. Buckle up, get set, because we're about to hop in the time machine and travel back to the year 1975 and the shorelines of Seattle, Washington for the Seafair Regatta. And now, the 1975 Seafair Trophy Race. With the most experienced television coverage in the Pacific Northwest, KING-TV presents its 25th annual telecast of hydroplane racing excitement. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1975 Seafair Trophy Race. I'm Ray McMacken, along with... My sidekick for the last oh, three or four years now, Mike Fitzsimmons, historian on hydroplanes. And Mike, I guess the story to begin with is the boats that tried, I say tried, to qualify before the deadline this morning. Well, there was certainly some confusion about the boats that were to qualify. Six of them, one dropped out with uh, gearbox problems early, but the other five made their attempt, valiant as it was. Some of it somewhat tragic, as a matter of fact, and we'll show you that, but... They didn't make it, Ray. We have a nine-boat field. We got a nine-boat field. As Mike said, uh, five boats were in the pits. And here is a look at the boat that tried to qualify, or at least one of them, Mr. Fabricator. What apparently happened, as far as I can tell, is that as you see it right there, the whole engine exploded. The oil came out of the boat, Tom Kaufman, the driver, rearing back in the cockpit. He was burned. He finds his way out of the cockpit and into the water as the boat comes to rest, as you can see. This boat, by the way, in 1965, burned up when it was Harris Tahoe Miss in San Diego. Fire has not been foreign to this hydroplane. Tom, as you can see, waving, he is burned and he is in pain at this moment. We understand that uh, Tommy Kaufman suffered first, second, and third degree burns. Uh, the gloves on his hands melted. Uh, as you see, he was in great pain being hauled aboard that uh, outboard rescue boat. Uh, I was on the uh, finger fears back in the pit area when uh, Tommy was uh, brought in, and he uh, walked under his own power, so he was all right as far as that was concerned. Uh, he was in a bit of shock, and uh, an ambulance did take him away for a little uh, examination. But uh, as far as I could uh, observe up close, he was, uh, he was all right. So 
That uh, little incident happened oh, about an hour, an hour and a half ago. No other boats have qualified. We have a nine-boat field, and uh, I'm told now we have the national anthem with the 13th Naval District Band. Well, back on the official barge, which really isn't a barge this year, uh, we are landlocked uh, on a brand new course here, just uh, back at the Stansiers Pit, and of course you probably heard we're a couple miles north of what we were in the past. But uh, Mike, we're going to take a look at the rundown of the particular boats right now, and I'd like you to comment uh, on the uh, engines, the drivers, and all the knowledge that you have about these boats. Four, Mike, with the little leprechaun on the front of it, is the Miss Verners. Yes, Ray, a former Miss Budweiser boat, seen a lot of racing under its sponsors. Bob Miller back and racing on the West Coast. Good to see him back. The boat should be fairly well if equipment holds out. And qualifying, as you see, at 104.287. The U64 Miss Verners, which I understand is named after a soft drink company back east. That's right. The U80, the Miss Vans PX. Actually, the boat wore that name before when it was the former Parco's O-Ring Miss. Bob Patterson back in Seattle and the son of Jack Schaefer, famous such crust hydroplane owner, now as a driver in the Vance PX. Did very well over in the Tri-Cities, Turbo Allison powered. And the U-6, the Hams Bear, B-E-A-R. That's right. This is the former Miss Madison Hall, Jerry Banks from Seattle, driving the boat. He's been doing a good job all season long. A little bit uh, on the slow side compared to some of the hot dog boats, but always consistent. Qualifying at, oh, nearly 110 miles an hour, the former Miss Madison. And there's the red, white, and blue Bill Muncy Atlas Van Lines. This boat, brand new this year, Muncy says the fastest uh, new boat he's ever driven, but they've been plagued with turbocharged Allison problems all year long, and Muncy says he kind of wishes the Rolls-Royce engines were back in the Shaneth camp. U-71, the Atlas. She might be heard from before it's all over. The U-55, the Lincoln Thrift. Coming on strong, Mike. They've got some directional stability problems with this boat, Ray, as evidenced by these new tail fin assembly that they show on the boat here in your picture. And the uh, U-55, you'll have to look to it to get a little squirrely in the corners. Milner Irvin is concerned about that situation, but ran very hot at the Gold Cup race. But she is third in the point standing. Yes, she is. The U-2, a hot boat. Miss U.S. Unquestionably George Simon's best Miss U.S. boat over 20 years of campaigning hydroplanes. And this boat, Turbo Allison powered Tom Deeth, the driver, very, very strong contender, winner of the Garwood Trophy race in Detroit this year. Qualifying at nearly 119 miles per hour, the Miss U.S. The Budweiser. And she is ready to go. Yes, she seems to be. Although she had damage to the left sponson at the Gold Cup in Tri-Cities a week ago, the right sponson at Madison, Indiana, the boat has been around and pounded around some tough racing for over four years, and she still has some race left in her. They worked all week to get the U-12 ready to roll, and she is qualifying very well and certainly could be a factor in the race. The pride of pay and pack, the U-1. Well, what can you say, Ray? This boat has been twice national champion in 73 and 74, twice Gold Cup winner, just has it all together. And uh, after a slow start this year, uh, losing the first couple, three races, they changed drivers, and jungle George Henley is back in it, and he's running real well. And when George Henley's smiling, <laughs> look out. The U-74, the other contender for the national point total. The Wisefield. Yes, there's only 76 points between the Wisefields and the pay-in pack, and it could all be decided right here. Billy Shoemaker, former great Bardall driver of 67 and 68, putting on a great show in this boat, and he should do well here. She qualified the fastest, as you see. So that's the rundown, Mike, and I would have to say that there are at least three, possibly four hot boats out there in the field as of right now. I think that's probably true, Ray, and also you wouldn't want to count out Bill Muncie because the boat looks like it's running better than before. Okay, the rundown, the heat draw, if you will, heat 1A. 
The pride of pay and pack over 122 miles an hour, as you can see, a hot dog, Miss Budweiser, Atlas Van Lines, the Hams Bear, Miss Verner's, a good, well-rounded heat, but it should be the pay and pack and Budweiser and the Atlas that really go at it in that one. And the four boats in heat 2A, or heat 1B, excuse me, heat That's 1B. A well, of course, the Wise Fields fastest qualifier just about every stop on the tour this year, Miss U.S., Lincoln Thrift, and the Vans PX. That should be actually more or less a hot dog heat as well. The Wise Fields, the U.S., the Lincoln Thrift, uh, all of them running very, very strongly this year. How about the Wise Fields being in a different heat than, say, the pay and pack? Go well, if, if she fares well in that one, the pay and pack in hers, sooner or later, they have to meet up in a showdown. Very good. So there is the nine-boat rundown, and we'll be back after this timeout. condition and uh, he will be back out here not driving obviously but he will be back out here to watch the activity all day today I will add that uh, we've got a break from the weather man the wind has calmed down the sun has come out and it's going to be a great day for racing of course uh, what can I say about Rod Belcher Bill Muncy back in the pit area these are the guys that dig out the facts all day long all we do is call the race and they dig out and do all the work back in the pit area so I'm going to go to the pit area right now Rod Belcher and Bill Muncy Hey, Bill, uh, here you are again. How many years ago was it when you first came to see how long is forever? Yeah, man. 20 years ago today, I think, was the first time I ever arrived or knew what Seattle was all about. As far as Ray McMacken, what can you say? He says, why don't you say something nice? <laughs> he could say, you're marvelous and wonderful and exciting. Got control over Lake Washington floating bridge of thinking. No, not quite. More about that later. But, Bill, <laughs> you know, we, we got a kind of a different race today. The course has been moved. It's a different distance. We raced 37 and a half miles instead of 45 miles and uh, a lot of differences out there what do you figure well let me tell you something i just think that the race course in its present location is an ideal ideally situated race course mainly because it's the kind of thing we've been trying to do all over the united states and that is is fix a, a straightaway where the public can virtually reach out and touch the boat mm -hmm. and here with our location on the camera and ray and all the things that we're doing to give you the you know just tremendous coverage from king the public and the television audience as well is going to be able to reach right out and jump inside the cockpit. Now, if you want to come in my cockpit, it's about 160 degrees. There's a lot of torque from about 3,000 horsepower. This sled I'm driving doesn't really want to go straight. It wants to turn left. And to keep it going straight, I'm going to push on my left with my left hand and push pull with my right to keep it going. When I get to the corner, hey, I'll back off just a hair. I'll make a turn to the left to correct to the right. I'll stuff it into the corner, get back on it, make a turn to the left, correct to the right. If I do that perfectly, I'll turn left when I get to the corner. If I don't, I go on to Renton. But anyway, uh, this race course is real close to shore where everybody can see very easily what is going on. Now, from a standpoint of distance, we're not going to be able to, we might be able to touch the top speeds that we have available in unlimited hydroplane racing, but we're not going to be able to park there very long. It's fun to get up to maybe 150, uh, 150, 560 miles an hour and just stay there. We're not going to be able to do it here, Rod, because near the end of the shoot is where we'll see that 150, and then we'll have to back off and, and turn left. So because we've got more corners and our straightaways are shorter, the end result is we're not going to go quite as fast. In other words, you're just getting up to speed, and you've got to think about backing off. Yeah, but the competition's going to be the same. On the other hand, you've got a wider course, and the turn, uh, the turn speeds you'll be able to keep up and should be able to keep up a little yeah, bit, Yeah, we'll right? smoke into those corners uh, 145, 140 miles an hour, and... I tried to stuff one in there uh, this week at about 150, which is a little too quick. I was headed towards Mount Rainier. 
But uh, the competition really isn't going to change. It's going to be the close, tight competition that we've had all summer. It isn't, from an average speed point of view, it really isn't going to be all that fast average-wise. But in the shoot, we'll be seeing 150, 155, but not, for, you know, quite the distance. Okay, you speak have. about competition, and your very first uh, out today at noon, you've got to go against the pay and pack, and you've got to go uh, against the Budweiser. Now, eventually today, you're going to race against... Bill Shoemaker, right? Indeed. All right. Now, we uh, we have some pre-done stuff with you. As you well know, you've been working your little tail off out here for the last few days. Well, this, i, I got to say that this interview was done before I became an enemy. <laughs> uh, you're an enemy, you know, on, on race morning. Oh, but yeah. But we did this uh, yesterday, and he was very pleasant, very nice, and, of course, one of the finest chauffeurs in the history of the sport, so it was great to do it. Today, he probably would have talked to me. Here it is. The race for the National High Point Championship in Unlimited Racing has got to be the closest thing I've ever seen in my 20-some long years of racing. Certainly the top chauffeur in the country, and the guy who led for a long time and is only a few points behind now is Billy Schumacher. He's a controversial, he's a colorful, he's an aggressive, he's an imaginative guy. He stabs an unlimited hydroplane and turns left with it as good or better than anybody I've ever seen. And who probably this past week has been involved in more controversy than he's ever been, and certainly is Rob probably on this race course running stronger. Bill, last probably four months ago, you started your season out here on Lake Washington. I think that probably based on your experience, you felt that you were running strong, and you were certainly going to be a competitive factor. Did you think you were just going to blow the doors off everybody? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it proved out to run pretty well at first. But uh, as you might say, our performance hasn't been too brilliant in the last few races and I don't know every, every the last I'd say three that we've gone into I've felt that well this time we have it all together do you really feel that uh, maybe you've had some uh, individual difficulties uh, or do you think that because maybe of the pressure of the competition stuffing on you they're making you go faster they are going quicker maybe some of this is putting the kind of pressure of performance to which we've both been subjected for so many years and that everybody feels it now and maybe it's making all kinds of all the crews maybe perform at a level they didn't know they were going to have to perform and maybe they can't stand the pressure any better than we can i think there is something to do with that because when we go out and qualify at 120 or 21 we're fairly familiar with that area but then when i go out to really cook in a lap you might say to, to show them how fast we can go i never get clear around somewhere it breaks down and i think that that is because we're reaching an area that we've never been in before so it really isn't just the drivers that are feeling this pressure of performance, and, and we feel it every morning of the race and all day long, certainly, and sometimes even prior to it. But I think that it's a, a real factor, don't you, that the crews really feel this pressure of performance, and they know that the competition isn't going to let you sit languidly by, as it were, and win a race in Miami and maybe win in Washington or somewhere else. They're going to, they can feel that the competition is going to make you go faster, and your, your crew feels that. That's true. The crew has worked very hard for this one. In fact, they've torn things apart that that definitely don't need to be torn apart, but they're going to check it anyway, and they're going over everything two and three times just to make sure. And if, uh, if hard work means anything, why, uh, we should be hanging together this time. Well, Bill, uh, incidentally, while we were listening to that pre-recorded interview, all of a sudden a breeze has come up out here. Have you felt it? <laughs> what was yeah. it? Isn't that kind of a funny direction for a breeze on this lake? Yeah, it is, really. I don't know. It's moving around uh, right now. We don't... Frankly, right now it's very fast racing water, uh, and uh, particularly down here in this first corner, you like to get, you don't want to run on, on smooth water, you want to have a little chop, but you know, about eight or ten inch chop would be nice, because that keeps our, our friction area at a minimum, we'll ride up on top of it, we'll have more air flowing underneath the boat, and the boat is just as quick as it can possibly be in those, under those water conditions. Uh, on the other hand, 
it could get white caps, and of course then the end result is rollers, and it's hard to negotiate a race course with rollers at any, with any degree of safety. This is a good, fast race course right now, very fast. Okay, Bill, one thing, the, the log boom and the proximity of the floating bridge, uh, what do they do to the racing? Well, I don't think the log boom is really going to have any effect on it right now. Uh, conceivably, and I haven't been up there with five other boats, or on the race course with five boats, Conceivably, uh, the water off the race boat could go over and hit that brick wall of the bridge and bounce right back into the center of the race course and be a, you know, a difficult thing to hang on to. Uh, we'll have to wait and see about that, Rod. I really don't so, know. so the north turn or the left turn as the spectators face the course is the potential trouble spot, is it? Conceivably. That's where the water conditions would really, really be a, a real big factor. Bill, the thing we haven't talked about here is our pit coverage today. And, you know, we have mentioned that you started out here 20 years ago, and I've actually only been involved with these races since 1960. That doesn't make me a real old-timer. But one of our pit reporters, and there are two today, Mike Rhodes and uh, Martin Wyatt. Mike Rhodes has been around covering these things. He started back on King Radio. must have been 25 years ago. And right now we're going to introduce Mike. We're so glad to have him back. He's a great pit reporter and a great enthusiast. And, uh, Mike, I'm going to let you take it from there. Well, thank you, Rod. I feel so old after that introduction. I think maybe I should kick it right back to you. But listen, I've got something to tell you. You guys are talking with Billy Schumacher. I'm standing by that boat, Miss Wisefield. And I've had talks with Jerry Zuvich, the boat uh, camp manager today. I've talked with, with uh, the owner, uh, Mr. Uh, Les Wisefield. I've talked with Billy Schumacher. And this camp is uptight, not from the standpoint of any problems, mind you, but uh, generating from the fact that they know there are only 76 points separating them from paying back and the leader in national point standings. And so this camp is out to do a whole lot of things today. One is to win the race for sure, but the other is to be sure to recapture that lead in national standings. It really is a treat to see the, the, the spirit that has, is prevailing in this camp. I've been watching it all morning, and then I ask a lot of questions. I get a few answers, and I get smiles. They're confident because they've overcome the three things that, that were uh, giving them problems in PASCO. That is an intermittent electrical problem. They had a fractured shaft. That's been replaced. They had a nitrous oxide injection failure. That has been replaced. And a whole brand new electrical system. So watch this baby go. I think we're in for a very good day of racing, and we should have a good 25th anniversary uh, race on our hands, Bill. We have a lot of other good prospects in these pits, too. And my very capable and, and uh, uh, likable compatriot in the pits today is Martin Wyatt. And, Marty, I think you have a little story on Miss U.S., do you not? I do, Mike, and I'm not one of those old guys, right? One of these young fellows? <laughs> okay. I'm by uh, the Miss U.S. Now, you, of course, were by the Wisefield, one of the hot dogs in this race, one of the boats that's been getting all the ink. The Miss U.S. hasn't been getting a lot of ink, and we don't know why. If they win, it would be quite a success story. Last year, if you remember, at Sandpoint, the U.S. burned to the waterline. They rebuilt the boat, the Ron Jones Hull, and they've been racing it. It's been going well this year, in fact, in Detroit. Three consecutive heats, they won a perfect 1,200 points, and they won the Garwood Trophy. If uh, they say that this is a rose race, meaning that the, the hot dogs, the Wisefield, the Pay and Pack, and the Budweiser are powered by Rolls-Royce plants, with this one, another story in it. It's powered by an Allison Turbo uh, charger. So that in itself would be a success story. In fact, this is the best-performing turbo-powered boat in history as far as the turbocharger. Uh, they set a heat record as far as the uh, Gold Cup race is concerned, over 113 miles per hour in a sensational heat when they were going neck and neck with the Lincoln Thrift. So 
It's quite a story here. The driver, Tom Deeth, is in his fourth year driving the big boats, but he's in a second generation. He is a second generation unlimited driver. His father was a fantastic driver back in the 30s and the 40s. So uh, last year, when the boat burned to the hull, the owner, George Simon, and the driver, Tom Deeth, didn't really have any good words for the recovery crew, so they'd love to win here. They may not be the most popular victories if they were to win, but they'd love to win, and they stand a good chance. When a boat is running well, the Turbo Allison runs well. They can do it. They've shown the speeds. They're up around 118 miles per hour, so they could possibly do it, and this is a boat to watch. The Miss U.S. will see them in Heat 1B. They'll be going up against uh, one of the hottest boats, of course, the Wisefield in that, uh, that heat. So we'll see if this is a Rolls race or we're going to have some action from the Allison Turbos in that heat. So I think... This is the boat to watch, Mike. Rod, how are you doing? Oh, just fine, Marty. Uh, and incidentally, uh, Bill, uh, last Tuesday at the Sports Writers and Sportcasters lunch, George Henley was there along with Bill Shoemaker. And uh, George said, you know, uh, there's been a lot of ink about the controversy with Billy uh, yapping. And, uh, and also, of course, you've had a few controversial things happen to you and Lee Shaneth and all that. And Henley made a pretty good point. And he says, gee, I, I wish you guys would write about something like that terrific duel at... That Deeth and uh, and the Lincoln Thrift had, uh, and I with Milner Irvin, and I suppose that's a, a fact. They had a heck of a race up between themselves over there. At well, it was record breaking, mm -hmm. and uh, it was historic because it happened to involve two turbocharged Allisons. Now, there's been remarks, uh, the ink, as it were, in the paper and other media. I suppose that Bill Muncie isn't particularly sold on turbocharged Allisons. Well, the truth is, you bet I'm not, because I'm getting towed in all over this country. All that means is that we really haven't the expertise, at least to the level maybe of some of the other fellas, to come up with the turbocharged Allison and perform at their level. On the other hand, we ran like a bandit in Miami. The first race of the year, we ran second down there, and the first heat that we were in, we set a new heat record. So I think that uh, I, the jury's still out. I'm still, you know, I got to the bank an awful lot with Rolls equipment, and I lost a lot with Rolls equipment over the years. Uh, the turbocharged Allison is relatively new, and I'm inclined to think that, uh, hey, it may be certainly a power factor in the future if we get it refined to the point where it'll pull its capable horsepower. Uh, the turbine engine uh, that they ran the U95 last year could conceivably be a, a, a factor in the near future because those engines will become available on the surplus market and we can afford them. Right now, we can't afford them. Uh, the Allison with an Oxstage blower, conceivably, with fuel injection, could be a fascinating opportunity for a new power source and unlimited hydroplane. So there's a number of options. And right now, naturally, I'm not uh, convinced that the roles are the uh, the roles can lose to a to an Allison. Hey, but I'd be willing to watch to watch and cheer. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting today because they're all teamed up beautifully, particularly in the initial heat. Well, anyway, uh, Milner Irvin and Tom Deeth showed that the Turbo Allisons can really get out and show the crowd something. And compete. well, the U.S. was breaking the world's record, right. you know, running second. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you get two guys running as hard and as strong and as consistent as they were. Uh, it's going to be tough for anybody. I don't care what if you're sticking your feet in the water and, and dangling them, you know, and kicking good. You're not going to bleed. You're not going to beat them. Uh, the Rolls, on the other hand, in my opinion, is still a, the odds-on favorite to win both most of the boat races, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of partial to it. Bill, uh, the next thing here, we want to get back to your own boat, the Atlas Van Lines, and uh, this time we're not doing the cockpit tour, but something a little different. But it is technical, and let's see what you did. Channel Five has invited me to describe for their king audience, the stern of an unlimited hydroplane. I think that their reasoning was probably that, considering the year I'm having, competitively lousy, that I've probably watched more sterns around this country than anybody in the history of the sport. Well, let me tell you, I have been doing that. And it is an exciting thing, really, the back end of an unlimited hydroplane. 
The Atlas Van Lines is a brand new boat this year. It was launched for the first time in Miami, and really it was a tremendously successful and very competitive boat. We've just gone zap down the tube since then. We're still excited about the potential of it, but we do have a few things, an innovative thing or two here that you might like to know about. One is the strobe light, which really isn't brand new because it was used on the U95 last year. We thought there were some great things about it that in the interest of safety and performance and rescue, it might help. For instance, if this boat should tip over and go to the bottom of the creek, hopefully William will be floating. But should the boat be on the bottom of the river, this thing will continue to flash on and off once every second for 24 continuous hours. It also is great for qualifying. I did it 150 miles an hour. I don't have to take my hands off the wheel and signal everybody, hey, I'm going to qualify. They know that when I've got it on, I want to, you know, I want to be clocked. If we're in traffic and we're running through a corner in heavy water and lots of rooster tails and lots of boats running around, if there's any possibility that I should be blocked out of somebody's view, probably a driver will be able to see this light flashing on and off and on and off. So from a safety point of view and a rescue point of view, I think it's, I think it's tremendous. The tail section really uh, is a functional one in the interest of the Atlas Van Lines. We used to have a tail that, and a wing that went out here, but every time I'd come in after every heat, there was parts of it that were being destroyed. And the end result was I just didn't want to take a chance and maybe not have it stay all to glue, glued together in competition. We got rid of it. We put a cap on the top. So moving aft, we have a couple of interesting things back here that really are, are critical to the performance of the Atlas Van Lines. One is the propeller, of course, and the other is the rudder. The propeller turns 12,000 revolutions per minute. That's because we're turning a turbocharged Allison engine, oh, in a ballpark of about 4,000. Through a three-to-one gearbox, we get a uh, ratio back here of a 14,000 revolutions per minute of a, uh, on this propeller. We're only riding on one blade of a two-bladed propeller, and that's how we get a rooster tail, this magnificent wall of water that just flies back about 250, 300 feet. And water is a tremendous force. You know, it has tremendous strength. At 150 miles an hour, it has a strength of about 450 pounds per square inch. So should you run into it, it could virtually draw, destroy parts of the boat and yourself and everything else. Here's the critical part. And let me tell you, in my career, as I've moved through this wonderful wide world of unlimited hydroplane racing, I've had some wild things happen to me with rudders. Uh, I guess I'll never live down the infamous experience of sinking a Coast Guard boat when I had one shear off right here at about 160. And the end result, of course, was that I didn't have any control, and I went straight, thank goodness, and I went past the field that was getting ready to go into the corner, and I nailed a beautiful shot. I just hit him forward of midships about, it was an unfortunate thing, but fortunately there wasn't anybody killed. There's a tremendous load on this rudder, as you can well imagine, but there's only just maybe a few inches of it in the water at a time. And the few inches that are critical are near the bottom where we have a pickup tube for water that's going to the engine to cool it and another very small tube that comes up to a water speed indicator in the cockpit that I can use to tell me how quick I'm running. You really don't need to watch an instrument like that. If you run in second or third, you know you ain't running quick enough. There's no question about it. But there is a tremendous load on it. It moves up through the system like this and is attached to the stern. And this stern is tied into an, as an integral part of the balance of the boat, the stringers, and it has aluminum and it has wood and all the kind of things glued together that we know through a period of years is going to be a successful stern performance. So there you have the back end, the stern of an element hydroplane, and I hope you in, you enjoyed watching this one. I hope that maybe this week I can watch the front of a boat for a change. How do you turn this thing on? Thank you, Bill, for the tour. Most informative. Well, I think you all know the national points leader this year is the pride of pay impact driven by George Henley. This week, George let us put a camera on his boat, and here's what it's all about in Henley's own words. I like the thrill of competition. And it doesn't really matter how fast you go. I don't like to go real fast. I would like to go out and do about 100 and 
65 or 70 rather than 200 miles an hour. Uh, at 200 miles an hour, you get on the real hairy side and you've got a, you don't really have control of the boat. Coming up for the start, if I know I'm not going to jump the gun, in other words, if I'm a little bit late to where I can uh, give her full throttle, and we just lay on her and head down to the first turn and can forget about everything except getting the boat into that turn and, and out of it first and keeping it right side up doing it. That's the safest place is in first place and getting a, away from everybody else. Then easing her back down the next straightaway and into the other turn. And this is where you get your speed up so high that uh, you just have to back off and not go in too hot because if you, you do, you'll catch a sponsor and you can hook and spin and do all them bad things so you just have to come out of the throttle a bit and set the boat and then find uh, where it's real comfortable and put her into a nice slide and make an even arc. Uh, the last half of the turn seems so darn big that the boat starts bouncing on me and, and I can't give it the power to hang it in there. Then as soon as I can get the boat aimed in a general right direction, I can put her to the wood and let her go. I like the sound of that engine and the power and the boat has just got a hold of you and it just kicks you all over and it's nice to just grab on, brace yourself and ride her out. And of course that was some fine camera work with the camera mounted on the boat and also some uh, shots interspersed there with the uh, helicopter angle to give you a really good look at what's happening on that course. So George Henley, one of the people to catch today and uh, I suppose he's definitely listed as a favorite because both newspapers this morning uh, Bill Knight who writes for the PI and Chuck Ashman who's covering it this year for the Times both said pay and pack's going to be it we'll wait and see well uh, Ray and Mike of course are out there on the official tower this year and they've got a lot of cameras to work with and so is Channel 5 as we always have and here's the way it works at camera wise Again this year, King Television brings you what we consider to be the premier picture in your living room of unlimited hydroplane racing. You're looking at one of our cameras, one of our eight color cameras, count them, eight color cameras, this being the South Turn. And that South Turn and Hilltop shot, Ray, show you where the real action is at the starts of each heat. As we look at one of the classic battles up the backstretch between the pack and the Budweiser, you're looking through the eye of the hill camera, which gives you that screaming action as they head into the north turn. In the north turn, as the Sponsons dance across the water, that camera just gets right underneath. Well, look at that, right at water level. Particularly on this race course, Ray, I think the north turn is going to be a critical place to watch these boats. The start-finish line, as you see, the duel uh, last season between the pack and the Bud, the start-finish line camera, Gives you the view of uh, where Mike and I are announcing from. Right where they start, right where they finish. Right from the official barge. Look at that action coming right into your living room. The South Turn camera coming right at you. And uh, you couldn't get a better picture than that no matter, well, if you were right down on the log boom, as a matter of fact. 
Once they're off the course and in the pits, we've got a variety of cameras. The giraffe, that's the one that bends and is about 40 feet in the air. The pit tower, which is the one that towers over everything, gives you uh, a view of uh, 360 degrees. Creepy? Well, that means it can go anywhere. As you see, we've got an east and a west creepy, and they can crawl right into an engine. If there's trouble, the creepies can show you the picture of it right away. There's some of the shots that you'll be looking at as they lower some of these big unlimited hydroplanes into the water from the eight color cameras. In addition to the eight color cameras, we can slow it down, as you see, in the slow motion and the instant replay cameras. This helps us, of course, to analyze the rides of these boats, which could become very critical during the race. Look at the pounding they take. You don't realize it when they're going at the normal speed. The tremendous impact on the water, the tremendous thrust of the engine. Look at the pounding, and you can see it in slow motion. So there they are, the eight color cameras all around the course in the pits, and of course we slow the action down. I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Now that you've had a chance to take a look at King's camera locations around this area where they're going to bring you the finest coverage of unlimited hydroplane racing in history, I thought you might like to take a look at the race course as I'm going to look at it from a driving point of view. First, here is the old race course, and it was an excellent race course. World's records were established on it at over 124, 25 miles an hour. It was sensational. But here's the new race course, and it's going to be, I think, even more exciting from a spectator's point of view. Here we can see one in relation to another. This one has the longer chutes. You can get up to 150 or 60 miles per hour and just stab and steer and turn left and hang on forever. But when we take it away, you're going to find out that these chutes are just a little bit shorter. You're not going to be running quite as long as 150 to 160 miles per hour. And the corners are considerably bigger. But the neat thing about all of this is that they stuff this thing down to the old Mount Baker pit area near the Lake Washington floating bridge where the spectators really can virtually reach out and jump into the boats. And I just think that's going to be sensational. From a King coverage point of view, it's going to be great. There's some interesting things you might want to consider or watch as we proceed around this race course and competition. And some things that I think some of the drivers are concerned about. Number one, you've got a big barrier here called the Lake Washington Floating Bridge. They keep floating, uh, filling that thing with cement. One of these days, it's going to sink. But tomorrow, or to this afternoon, probably, I think a lot of drivers are concerned about the wakes in the boats going up against the, the bridge virtually and banging back into the race course so that we end up with a virtual marine quagmire here with lots of water that could make cornering in that area a little difficult. It remains to be seen. We haven't bumped into it yet, but we haven't had a whole bunch of race boats on the race course at once going into that corner either. The other interesting thing about it is that the boats are going to not maybe average the, be averaging speeds that you were able to see on the other race course where we had longer shoots, but uh, it's going to be bigger corners. You, you, you set the boat up, establish a radius for maybe 150 to 45 miles an hour to 150 to get into the corner, and you get about halfway or three-quarters of the way through it, and you've got to grab just a little more steering wheel. So you grab another handful, you can stuff that sled off that exit pin and move it out and let it drift into a two or three or four lane that strategically will make it even more exciting. So from that point of view, I think the new race course is really a good one. I don't know that it's going to be quite as quick or quite as fast or maybe in some cases as spectacular. But from a spectator point of view, it's going to be better and King is going to be right there with me. So Bill Muncy has the Lake Washington floating bridge filled with cement and sunk to the bottom. Controversial, Bill. Good, good show. You know, the way he was fired up, Mike, I got to think, 
that uh, Muncie says he doesn't have the straightaway speed, which favors him on this course. He likes Seattle. He likes this crowd. So look out. Bill Muncie could be a factor before it's all over. The turns being as large as they are, too, Ray, at 2,000-foot radius, uh, gives Muncie uh, a chance to, at, a, at good speed that he isn't talking about right at the moment because uh, Bill Muncie's boat uh, doesn't I, have to decelerate that much, and it, it likes turning a little bit on the wide side, as most of these uh, pickle ports do. So uh, he might be a little more impressed than he's letting on. And the Lincoln Thrift is a pickle fork, and also, well, the wise feels the pay and pack. Uh, they're going to have their hands full today. The Miss U.S. is going to be heard from. Let's look down the flights again. Here's Heat 1A, the pride of pay and pack, Mike. The pay and pack course coming off three straight wins on the on the tour at Dayton, Ohio, at one at Madison, Indiana, and again picked up a second gold cup uh, in Tri-Cities only a week ago. And uh, uh, the sports writers are calling it the boat to beat. And the strategy for the Wise Fields, 76 points behind it, is the boat to break. So I'll tell you, the Budweiser, the U-12, what a sweetheart story that is. Sunk to the bottom of the Columbia River. They worked on that all week long here in the barn in Seattle, and they got it put together. And look at that qualifying speed. The boat is very impressive. It's an older boat. And by these standards, when you get a boat that's two or three or four years old, that's an old boat. And uh, there are some older ones in the pit area, but they're not going to race today, which may speak for itself. But the uh, Budweiser... Very powerful comeback after breaking a, a sponsor in the Tri-Cities. I'll tell you, Bernie Little and Mickey Riemann are going to be going to be sending that one out on the course to do some damage. Okay, the Atlas Van Lines, the U-71, Bill Muncy driver. Again, as I mentioned, Ray Muncy, uh, I think, has an ace card up his sleeve. The boat qualifying at 111, that's better than he's qualified on the two-and-a-half-mile courses for a while, and... Uh, the engines are strong. The boat looked fairly well uh, in its uh, time trial efforts earlier in the week, and I think that Muncie thinks there's a chance that he can make it look like Miami again. Well, Jerry Bangs, who rewrote the record books in the limited classes, is in the Hams Bear, the U6. The Hams Bear, of course, former Miss Madison, the third in the line of the Madison boats, and always uh, this camp has displayed a, a feature that many others haven't been able to achieve, and that's consistency. It may not be out in front, but it's always back there to take over if the front man falls. So Jerry uh, can depend on that today. And his qualifying speed, as you see, at 109, not half shabby. Bobby Miller from Everett driving the U64 Miss Verners. The boat is a former Miss Budweiser, built in 1968 and uh, won many victories here uh, on Lake Washington. And the, the craft, of course, was a national champion and a Gold Cup winner and uh, still has some pretty good form under those sponsons to uh, display to us today. If the engines can remain healthy, and that seems to be something of a question at the moment, this rolls-powered old boat might just do all right. So Heat 1A looks like the Pay and Pack and the Budweiser battling it out with an outside chance for the Atlas Van Lines, the Hams Bear, and the Burners. Now for Heat 1B. There's only four boats in this one, and the Wisefields with Billy Shoemaker. I'm going to call him Shoemaker. Schumacher, he calls himself Shoemaker, so that's what I'm going to call him. The Wisefields, in its second year of competition last year, not too impressive as the, uh, the Value Mart had a, a lot of problems, was taken off the circuit and repaired. But now that uh, Billy the Kid is back aboard that boat, uh, it has been impressive. They fell and uh, very embarrassingly so over in the Tri-Cities. They've got a lot to make up for today. San Diego and Phoenix, uh, two races that were scheduled earlier this year, may not be on the tour. And if that's true, the National High Point Championship could end here. There's 76 points behind the pay impact. A lot of work to get done today. Tom Deeth of Detroit, Michigan, driving the U2, the Miss U.S., a sleeper. I think that's the foxiest-looking boat in the pits, and I think that it runs very, very well. I, the uh, Turbo Allison has come of age in this boat. I think they've refined it. 
And, of course, last year they suffered great indignity when the boat burned to the water line, as King brought it to you a year ago at Sandpoint. And uh, might, they want to win. I might point out, Mike, uh, since then they've uh, got a landing craft barge with a fire truck on it. So maybe we won't have a repeat of that incident we had last year. I don't know if we had any. Very possibly they'll it. bring their own fire crew. <laughs> All right. Running down uh, again, the Heat 1B, the Lincoln Thrift, uh, 115-830 qualifying speed. And Nolan Irvin is the driver from Miami, Florida. The boat uh, ran very well over in the Tri-Cities, but uh, Bob Fendler, Ron Jones, the designer, tells me that there's an inherent problem. The sponsons need to be changed. There's no time to do it. The uh, fin arrangement that you see on the uh, tail uh, horizontal stabilizer at the moment is an effort to stabilize that thing directionally so that it goes down the course straight. And uh, they have had some problems. They might not have it entirely worked out. And the last boat, the Vans PX with uh, Jack Schaefer, Jr. This boat, uh, Jack Schaefer, of course, his father, the great such crust campaigner from Detroit. And uh, Jack should give a good account of himself. It's good to see Bob Patterson back in Seattle. Nine boats in the field. We'll be back in just a moment. David Newton here, listeners. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. Rooster Tail Talk is a free podcast that runs off of, well, basically a teacher's salary and contributions from our listeners. If able, please show your support. To make a contribution, please visit our website at roostertailtalk.com and find the support tab. Thank you. Now let's get back to our program. back on the race course as you can see it uh, the Lake Washington floating bridge is over Mike and I's shoulder here and we are told we're about 10-12 oh, minutes away from the uh, five o'clock or five minute gun uh, five o'clock five five minute gun and uh, then we'll work ourselves down to a one minute gun and then by golly we got Seafair 75 trophy race underway uh, right here for you uh, earlier today as we showed you Maybe you missed it earlier in the program, but earlier today the Mr. Fabricator was out trying to qualify and had a little trouble, quite a bit of trouble. The boat's engine just literally exploded, Ray, and uh, as you can see there, fire coming from every available spot, and Tom Kaufman uh, was trapped for momentarily in the cockpit before he could get himself out, and he did sustain some burns, as you mentioned before, on his, on his hands particularly, his gloves melted. A great deal of flame comes out of these engines. Those impellers uh, burn white hot in the turbochargers, and there you see that he is in pain. He's waving, hitting the cold water after being burned has uh, got to be an unfortunate uh, thing to have to go through. They did get him out of the water. He walked under his own power to the ambulance, so uh, we understand he's coming back to the race course to watch the boat race. Glad that he's all right. He is in good condition. He went to Providence Hospital for a check. As I pointed out earlier, I saw him when this boat brought him to the finger piers and uh, he's okay. Let's look at that once again. It just happened so rapidly. He uh, probably didn't have any warning on his instruments. There it goes. Just completely exploded. Mr. Fabricator trying to qualify. Hopefully that will not be an omen for what will happen out here today. We have perfect racing conditions, light winds, beautiful sunshine, and... Uh, Ray and Mike, they're going to take uh, driver owner Tom Kaufman to Providence Hospital. Now they're taking him out. He has burns on his shoulders. And his back, he seems to be all right. Yeah. Okay, I'll bring it right down. Dr. Bowers. 
Doctor? Doctor, can I get a comment on you, what his condition is? Just, just, a, just a minute. Okay, where are you taking him now? Up to Providence Emergency. Is he, is he seeming to be all right? Yeah, he's all right, but he's got some first and second degree burns, possibly some third degree burns. We don't know yet, but he's got to be at Providence for some uh, full evaluation of really what is going on. But he's all right. Yeah, his blood pressure is steady, and his, stay, his vitals are within what we call normal limits. Okay. So, anyway, we will report. There's a look at the cockpit, all gutted by fire. But Tom Kaufman is okay. He went to Providence Hospital, first, second, and third degree burns, and uh, was treated and will return to watch the racing today. And picture, as I said, hopefully not an omen of what's going to happen out here today. Picture Ray is so reminiscent of 1965 when this boat also burned at San Diego, much worse than it did here. The cockpit all scorched out at that time also. And again, it reminds you of Miss U.S. We seem to start this show a couple of years in a row now with the fires. <laughs> uh, the U-95 in 73 fired up on the truck for the first time and uh, gave us a ball of fire to show the folks to come on. Uh, we had the little Miss U.S. incident last year. Hopefully that won't be repeated. Hopefully it Ah, so again, we will repeat. They did open the course uh, semi-officially for qualifying, and they said if anybody goes around at 100 miles per hour before 11 o'clock, between 9 and 11 o'clock, uh, they would then consider them for uh, adding them to a heat. But uh, as, you, as we explained to you, nobody did go out and go around at uh, 100 miles per hour. And uh, so we've got a nine-boat field. Now we're going back to the pit area, and Martin Wyatt. Ray I'm, right, Ray, I'm right beside the pay impact. This is the defending champion, and you can tell by the crew, their response, the driver and the owner. The one thing that you've noticed at this camp that it is confidence. I talked with crew chief uh, Jim Lacerio just a few minutes ago. He says, look, Marty, we're ready. We tested our equipment, and we're ready to go. In fact, they said they've tested more than any boat this week. Uh, one thing about it, George Henley is a kind of a soft-spoken driver. He's a guy who really doesn't brag, but I found out one thing. As any boats that beats him, he doesn't want the Whitesville to be the one to beat him. This camp wasn't as at ease as it is right now, wasn't as confident early in the year, of course. They had a bad start. Four races, the first four races, they just really couldn't get it together. They changed the driver. George Henley came out of retirement, and it made it for them, really. So right now, the pay impact is the boat to beat. There's a lot of confidence here, and they'll be going after their third consecutive national points championship, and they're going to go all out. I think this would be the boat to beat so far. Well, uh, incidentally, uh, I'd like to get in a plug for something right here. As you may know, I uh, work for the State Highway Department, and our floating bridge is going to open up tonight at 7 o'clock rather than the 5 a.m. that was advertised uh, earlier. The bridge, because of a slight delay in repaving the one lane that they're working on now, will reopen tonight at 7 o'clock but there will be a closure Monday night starting at 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. on Tuesday. So that's the late word on the floating bridge. The bridge is closed to traffic and to pedestrians all through today, but will open up to three lanes of vehicle traffic tonight at uh, 7 p.m. So that's the word there. Now let's go back to Mike Rhodes at his pit area. Well, thank you, uh, Rod. Say, I want to observe that I never thought that you'd be the one to buy, fall for that I can sell you the floating bridge routine, but congratulations. The Budweiser is going into the water. Let me tell you something. 
Bernie Little has a smile that says more than his mouth ever says. And he's been doing a lot of smiling over here this morning. As you'll recall, the Budweiser sank over in the Columbia River, went down and had a little tour with the sturgeon, but it has been refurbished, everything has been redone, and Bernie seems to know a little something he's not telling. I'd keep a very close eye on the Budweiser. You could see Vicki Riemann and uh, the pay and pack with, with uh, George Henley have one of the best races you've ever watched. Watch this uh, Budweiser because they're just full of little secrets. One of the secrets is a well-known one. They have an excellent boat crew. When they have gone over a boat, well, there's nothing left to chance. Now, I'll tell you something else. That's, there they sit, two of the most fiercest competitors in the business, the pay and pack and the Budweiser of the boat. Boating there pretty quick. There goes the noise. I'll let you have it, Rod, because you can't hear me from this point on. Sure thing, Mike. Well, we're getting to within about two minutes of the five-minute gun, and the weather is great. The fields are compact as you know no more than five boats in any heat is possible today and I don't think they're going to get strung out as much as you sometimes see in either seafair or gold cup racing action these things have been going on here since 1951 that makes it uh, as everybody knows the 25th anniversary event and uh, with the small field so closely matched and with the national point standing so close I think everything points to uh, one of the better days. And do you know the schedule is really compact as well? Since we don't have section he in, uh, section C in any of the heats, this whole thing, if it stays on schedule, it's going to be over by 3.30 this afternoon because the final heat, heat three, is going to be scheduled at least at 3.10. Now, we all know how many delays have come up in the past, but if all goes on schedule, the last scheduled racing of the day would come at 3.10, and about 15 minutes later, it would be all over. This is a two-and-a-half-mile course, but they will not race 15 miles, which would be six laps. They're going to race five laps in each heat, which means 12-and-a-half miles, and a total race of 37-and-a-half miles if they all go the full distance. Well, that's the setup. We have uh, about a half minute, by my calculation, to the five-minute gun, and uh, by golly, I can't complain about anything I've seen today. It's beautiful weather. The crowd has a great view of the race. What else is there at this point? Just wish them all well and that they run perfect and everybody stays healthy. So just before the five-minute gun, I'm going to uh, throw it back to the official tower to Ray and Mike. Okay, and the five-minute gun rod has fired out here. And uh, you're looking at the Miss Budweiser negotiating the north turn and warming up the uh, oil. KING's coverage is Seafair 75 continues after this. Got a hand back on the official barge here, the rundown for Heat 1A. And it is getting noisy because we are much, much closer to the course this year than we've ever been before. As you see, the countdown, we're just a little over three minutes away from the start of Heat 1A. The pay and pack. Rolls-Royce, the Hams Bear, Allison, Atlas Van Lines, Allison, the Miss Budweiser, Rolls-Royce, the Miss Burners, Rolls-Royce. Your drivers are George Henley, Jerry Bangs, Bill Muncy, Mickey Riemann, and Bobby Miller. There you're taking a look at the Hams Bear as she negotiates the lower corner with the Burners. Muncy actually looks like the boat Every time before some preliminary heats uh, in the earlier going this year, Muncie had some crackle problems that were always audible from the boat, but it sounds real quiet now. 
All five boats are out on the course. You're looking at the Atlas Van Line swinging out of the north turn with two and a half minutes to go to the start of Heat 1A. Up the back stretch, we can see from here the Hams Bear, the Miss Verners, directly across from the start finish line. Coming out of the south turn would be the Budweiser and certainly the favorite, the Pride of Pay and Pack. All five boats are running comfortably as you count down with us for the start of the Seafair Trophy Race 1975. And I got to say this right now, Mike, that when they come screaming down here, you're not going to hear anything but hydros. No, I think we just better uh, concede the floor. It is going to be noisy, but fun. Much, much closer, of course, to the race course, all the spectators. The log boom is filled up all the way down from the start of the south turn all the way almost to the Lake Washington floating bridge. The shoreline is packed. Uh, somebody, Seafair officials, estimated 200,000 people will be out here looking at this race today. The weatherman gave us a beautiful break. The sun broke out about an hour, hour and a half ago. The wind has dropped down, so there's just a light ripple on the water, ideal for those three-pointed hydroplanes to skirt across the top of the water. Boats are turning into the infield now would be the Hams Bear and the Miss Verners. You're looking at the Budweiser which is coming right across the start-finish line now and swinging into the infield. This oh. is a very interesting part of the race, Ray, because here's where the dicing occurs, where the selection of lanes uh, actually happens. There's a lot of racing that goes on right there, even at lower speeds, as we hear the one-minute gun fire. Watch the positioning of these various boats because it's very critical as to where they start. We almost had a collision between the pay and back, and I see in the booster I think it was the Hams Bears, they scurry over there to get in position. They're all going toward the outside of the course, so. Mickey Raymond took the inside uh, away from those boats uh, that were trying to bump into each other, it looked like, right on the infield there. A little bit of traffic up there. Well, Ray, here to call Seafair 75, Heat 1A. Go to it, McBacken. Well, thank you, Mike. As you see, the boats are on the north turn, the Hams Bear on the outside, the Budweiser in the middle, the Verners is on the extreme inside. At the pay and pack is the number four lane boat, and Atlas Van Lines is the boat way in the rear, Muncie swinging wide. So here we come for the start of Heat 1A with Verners on the inside, Hams Bear in lane three, lane two, the Budweiser, lane four, the Atlas Van Lines, the pay and pack is in lane four, the Atlas Van Lines in five. Somebody jumped the gun. It looked like somebody jumped the gun, and it had to be the Verners. It could have been the Verners and Madison Ray. Could have been Ham's Bear, and we could have had two boats jumping the gun, but as you see, the Budweiser is slamming into the south turn and has the lead. But I'm sure that the Verners and the Ham's Bear jumped the gun and possibly Muncie in the Atlas Van Lines. We'll get a ruling on that just as soon as possible. Meanwhile, screaming out of the south turn and up the back stretch. Remember, the back stretch is considerably shorter and it is turning ability rather than straightaway speed that could win this heat. You've got the Budweiser hitting and in this rooster tail is the pay it back. That's a surprise, Mike. I wouldn't expect the Budweiser to have the lead, really. Well, Mickey got the inside. If he didn't jump the gun, and, is, he's, and if he is actually legal, he's running in very, very good position right now. But he got the inside, and he wanted it, because this Budweiser seems to corner well on that inside. OK, the Bud is on the inside. And he's got a boat race on his hands because on his starboard spots in comes the pride of pay it back. The Budweiser, pay it back. Budweiser. Ray, it's 
looks like we've seen this kind of hookup before between these two fellas. We got a real boat race because on the inside is the Budweiser and the outside the Bay Pack. Bill Muncy is in third place. The Hams Bear in fourth place and falling back is the Burners. Of course, remember that with the inside, the Budweiser has the advantage because if you have the inside, you can keep the other fellow on your hip and outside of you. Make him run a bigger track, and that's what the Bud's doing. Mickey Raymond went 116.429 unofficially. 116.429 for lap one of Heat 1A. The boat race is on the back stretch. The Budweiser on the inside. The pay it back right on his hip. We have a speed also for the pay impact at 115.681 unofficially, which is running in second place on that first lap. So this is a very fast duel going on here. There's your boat race coming out of the north turn. Hooking on the inside is the Budweiser. Riding on his hip is the pay impact. A beautiful shot coming out of that orange and green, if you're watching in color, buoy, which marks the, the exit from the north turn. Now the pay impact is taking the lead. The Budweiser is turning. Budweiser's turning to the infield. The Pay and Pack has the lead. Pay and Pack has the lead, and the Budweiser is going dead in the water. He's turning into the infield. The Budweiser is limping. There's a shot of the Budweiser. There's a shot of your number two boat now, the Atlas Van Lines, with Bill Muncy. But he's way back, almost half a race course. 117.188 is the time for the Pay and Pack. got a boat race for second place now between the Burners on the inside and the Atlas Van Lines, which is really in lane two going into the south turn. But the pride of Pay and Pack going up the backstretch has this race right now in his hip pocket as the Budweiser limps into the infield and is only running maybe 15, 20 knots at best. The uh, Ham's Bear is also dead in the water, uh, Ray. The Hams went out just about a half a lap ago. And so we have two boats out of this. Here is a very sad story because Mickey Riemann, they worked all week on that boat to get her ready after she sunk last week. And now he's standing up. He says, I need a tow. As you look at the Pride of Pay and Back coming out of the north turn. There's your leader. Bill Muncy actually giving an excellent account of himself as he comes out of the uh, the north turn, the pay and back going into the south corner. Muncy, by the way, has had, as, as we have told you, problems all year long with this Turbo Allison, but the boat actually running very healthy at the moment, getting a good stable ride as you see it come right down to the start line from that beautiful shot from the south corner. The burners still running healthy, and they have done so all year long since they joined the circuit. past this information, Mike, that the Atlas Van Lines is the only boat that had a legal start. That's the information that we have been handed as of right now, that the Atlas Van Lines is the only boat that had a legal start. Now, we're trying to verify that, but that's what we've been told. Well, I'm beginning to wonder if that's not true, because Muncie actually shut down right at the starting line. Everybody looked too soon. In fact, several boats went across the line when we actually heard the starter's gun. That is official. So Bill Muncie in the Atlas is your leader. The pride of pay and pack jumped the gun. He's a full lap behind. And I think Muncie might just know that, too. So the crafty old rascal did it. <laughs> I tell you. 
They call it seamanship. They call it knowledge. They call it craftiness. But that rascal right there has got it all. He's got the lead because he did not jump the gun. And you know, there could have been a little sucker move involved in that because he shut down right at the start finish line. Yes, he shut he down and the rest of them zoomed right on through. The so, Verners is now dead in the water, Ray, so we're having some attrition in this heat. So the question now is, does Bill Muncy know that he is the leader out there? Does he know? Does the pay and pack know? The only two boats on the water are the pay and pack and the Atlas fan lines. The pay and pack is going up the back stretch for what it thinks is lap four but in reality is lap three. Bill Muncy is going into the south turn in lap four. Does he think that he is trailing the pay and pack? Ray, on That's this a lap. question that has to be answered the minute we get back to the pits. On this lap, the Atlas ran 103.442, quite a bit off the pace for the first two laps, so maybe Muncy does know that. It's time to conserve. But does Henley know it? Henley's coming out of the north turn. There's your leader, the Atlas fan lines, going up the back stretch in lap four. I just saw the green flag displayed from the uh, cruiser across the starting line. The green flag means one more lap to go. Ordinarily, they would display not the green flag, but would display something other than that. Uh -oh. Muncie's having trouble in the north turn. Muncie's slowed down considerably in the north turn. Just a, just a crawl up there. That's the shot from the Lake Washington floating bridge camera looking directly south. Muncie, Muncie's just barely moving, and as Mike pointed out, the green flag came out. The information we were handed is that it was official that every boat jumped the gun at the start of this heat except Atlas Van Lines, and he is dead in the water. The Atlas Van Lines, the leader, is dead in the water. Well, Henley is the only boat running in the pride of pay and pack. Now, Ray, so under, the rules, academic. under the rules, the pay and pack will have to go an extra lap if she, in fact, jumped the gun, which means that Muncie's coming down in lap number five, and that should do it for it. The payback would, or he's finishing four, I see. Okay, well, he's no, going to have more. to go around this course one more time faster than the payback does because the payback is going to have to run an extra penalty lap if, in fact, it's official that she jumped the gun. That, of course, we don't know for certain yet. But let's see if George gets a checkered flag, and I don't think he's going to see it. He does not. Nope. Now, this confuses me because the gun went off finishing the heat, and that means, because the checkered flag was in fact displayed, that George Henley has at least in his own mind won this heat. Now, if he in fact jumped the gun, he should have to be penalized an extra lap. So the question remains, is the information we were handed uh, uh, accurate or not? Because Henley thinks he's won this first heat. Frankly, Mike, at the start of this heat, I thought that the Verners and the Hams Beer were ahead of the Atlas, which was the third place boat, and the other two, the Budweiser and the uh, Pay and Pack, were behind the Atlas van lines. Yet we were handed the information that the Atlas was the only one with a legal start. It could have mean the only one with a legal start of the three first boats, the Hams, the Verners, and the Atlas. We're going to clear all this up, but we'll be back with more live coverage from Lake Washington after this timeout. Okay, you are looking at the Pride of Pay and Pack, which went all the way down to the pit area after receiving the gun and the checkered flag, and then was told to complete one more lap. So there is the finish of the race. So for 
people on the beach or at home wondering what the Dickens is going on, we had in the terminology of hydroplane racing another goof up. <laughs> uh, Henley and the pack completed four laps. They did jump the gun, but Henley and the pack was given the checkered flag and the gun at the end of the fourth lap. Henley waved, thought he had won it, went back to the pits. Somebody said, you got one more lap to go because you jumped over the starting line. So that is what you just looked at. Henley going out during commercial break, taking a little cakewalk lap around and winning Heat 1A, the only boat to finish. And Mike, how could they do it? Well, <laughs> I can't really explain this one. In my lap count, Henley had finished five, which would have been enough to win the race. But when he was the official gun jumper, I kept looking for that uh, flag to come up to show him. But the green flag came up, which signified one more lap to go. And I couldn't understand that. And then when he finished the fifth lap, up comes the checker, and they say he's jumped the gun, and so he thought he was all right. He went I, back to the pit area, and somebody had to say, hey, George, uh, don't mind those checkered flags and the green flag. Those guys up there are not quite together yet, so why don't you go out and make one more tour, keep it legal, and you'll be the only, and he is, the only finisher in Heat 1A. For a minute there, we didn't have any finishers. Well, I tell you, George Hanley is not noted for his uh, debating ability, uh, but uh, I'm certain he's going to have something to say about this particular beginning for, <laughs> for Heat 1A. For the first heat of the day. Repeating again, uh, the pay and pack and the bud came out. The bud had the inside. There was a near collision between the Hams Bear and the pay and pack on the infield uh, as they were jockeying for position. It came down for the start of the heat 1A. The bud had the inside. The pack was on the outside. As it turned out, it, it, uh, it looked from our vantage point right here that several boats jumped the, the, uh, the gun, notably the Hams and the Verners. But it uh, turned out that the Atlas Van Lines with Bill Muncy was the only boat that did not jump the gun. He shut down, and the rest of them zoomed over just a split second ahead of the starting gun. So the, ham, uh, the Budweiser had the lead going into the south turn and held it uh, all the way around, and then uh, several boats dropped out. We're getting a cue to go back to Martin Wyatt to find out what happened, and here's Martin Wyatt. George, George what did you think when, uh, when he came up and they were waving you back in? Did you know at all, have any idea that, that, there was, that it was a false no, start? No. Wait a minute. Did they give you the checkered flag? Yeah, they gave me the checkered flag. What, what, what are your feelings now? You, you have won the race though now, right? Uh, they gave me the checkered flag. Uh, they gave it to me on that one lap, but right after I went, right as I was going by. Well, you got the 400 points, George. Oh. A little bit of luck. Right? <laughs> yeah. What were your thoughts of when you came back and you saw everybody waving and, and well, waving to go back around one yeah, time because you were almost in? Yeah, I had to go back around again, and for some reason I thought, well, I knew somebody jumped the gun because uh, the clock was set. They were early. How was it going into that start, George, the with the Budweiser and all of that? Oh, that was good. <laughs> how, how does this course feel in competition now? But, George, what was the situation on that start? Did you know that you were out there in front and you were jumping the gun? Uh, I didn't uh, think I was jumping the gun. I knew everybody was in kind of early, and then I just sort of forgot about it and let her... Let her go. Can you run the outside? Yeah. Can you run the outside? I saw you had the outside lane. Yeah, can can you handle the outside? Just a little further, though. Okay, back to you, George Henley. A little bit uh, happy right now that he did win. A little bit confused, but back to you, Rod and Ray, at least. Okay, wasn't sure whether it was supposed to come to me or Ray. Uh, we were as confused as everybody else right here at Pitt Central. And uh, in the meantime, these other boats are being towed back in. Uh, Bill Muncy's coming back in, and undoubtedly we'll get the word there. There's, you see, the Atlas van lines. 
And uh, I don't know how they would declare the points, whether Bill finished the race or not. I was never clear on that, but then I'm a little bit uh, different vantage point up here. And we presume that uh, somebody ought to get some more points in the race. But in the meantime, we have Mike Rhodes ready to report. Stand by, Mike. Well, we'll have a little something to report uh, in just a few moments. Bill Muncy is, is just now drifting into the Finger Pier and will be coming uh, aboard, ashore, I should say, and we'll get a little bit of, of conversation from Bill. In the meantime, we have three pretty hot boats going into the water over here, Wisefield, Miss U.S., and Lincoln Thrift. Lincoln Thrift is resting in the water now. The Miss U.S. is still on the cranes. It's hovering a little above the water surface, and so is Wisefield getting ready for their uh, run for the money. Uh, Bill Muncy's Atlas Van Lines is now uh, being towed up alongside the pier, and Bill himself has now stepped onto the pier and is talking with, with uh, Bill Cantrell and Lee Shaneth and, and some of the fellows, giving them a few details, which I, he'll give us in just a few minutes when he comes in. Hopefully, he was in a position to straighten out some of this tangle. It did look like a, an insurmountable problem, but uh, here comes Bill, so maybe he can tell us. Bill? Looked like a problem that nobody's yet uh, solved. What did you see? Who who did what? Huh? I thought everybody jumped the gun but me. That's what they said. I thought I had a gorgeous start. You, you had it all figured out. Well, we went down the back chute. You know, I, everybody was ahead of the gun. I, I knew that, of course. You were the only and I thought maybe they'd cool it, and uh, they didn't. I think maybe they got caught up in the atmosphere of racing, and maybe one guy was a little ahead, and the other guy said, well, maybe he's right and I'm wrong, so they all chased each well, other, and I just parked. Isn't that <laughs> unusual for a guy like uh, uh, George Henley? And, and for it's unusual, yeah, but hey, this is boat racing. The greatest pressure in the world is here, and they're liable to do some strange things. Well, they're all pros. They're all good, though. Bill, we know that you... guns for a while, though, but you just dropped out. What happened? Yeah, I ran out of gas in the back chute. We know that George has yeah, 400 points. points. Now, we don't know how many you got. As soon as we find out, we'll put them I on your board. I need to know on the reading on, from the referee on how he can give me a black flag and a check flag as the winner of the race all at the same time. You want that figured out today like or next to week? i right, in a minute or two, Mike, if you can pull it up. Okay, fine. Okay, Thank so you, Bill. Well, I don't know that that clears things up for you any at all, but uh, Bill tells you what he thinks of the situation. And so, uh, Rod, we'll let you have it from there, huh? Well, you know, they mentioned a lot of attrition, and I've just found out about a problem with the pay and pack. It may have a hole in it, and Marty Wyatt will have the story. The pay and pack does have a hole in it. We're trying to get a camera shot right now of the pay and pack with a hole in it. There's a hole right there, and Driver George Henley is standing here. Excuse me a minute, Don. G George, did you know that you were hit that hard enough to put a hole in your boat? Uh, well, I figured we were hit pretty hard, but it was a glancing blow, and uh, uh, we were both kind of going the same way, and he, he made a turn, and uh, I was headed for the buoy, and, and I turned to the right, but I couldn't do anything, and, and he was sliding sideways when he came into me there. Do you think a, a protest or anything will be filed on this? No, I don't think so. Just uh, one of those things? Just Yeah, it's just one of them things. You know, it's in no man's land there, and... Uh, it's one of them things. <laughs> let me ask you this. Are you going to be able to get back in for the next heat to race? Uh, I'll let the, let the boys look at it. They're going to try. They, they've done some awful wondrous things this summer. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, George Henry. Well, the pay pack does have a hole in it, the winner of this heat, and we'll have to see what happens. We're going back to you. Well, a very interesting development, to say the very least. And we'll be back with more of 75 Seafair race coverage in a moment. Some confusing developments in the aftermath of Heat 1A, with only one boat really running in good shape at the end of the race, and we get it back to the pits and find out that it's got a hole in its hull. So where do we go from there? Well, I suppose for one thing, if you're like Satchel Page says, don't look back, look ahead. Something might be gaining on you. And what we're looking ahead to is Heat 1B, 
in which there will be four boats entered. And we have, uh, oh, about three and a half minutes or so to the five-minute gun, so racing action is not very far uh, ahead of us. The, uh, just what will happen to the boats that broke down, the Budweiser, the, even the winning pack, which got 400 more points to add to its 5,864-point 5, national leading total, well, that remains to be seen. How serious the accident is uh, will be developed within the next hour or so. Incidentally, just looking to when uh, Heat 2 will start, Heat 2A will be 1.30 p.m. if it stays on schedule, and Heat 2B at 2 p.m. So the latest that the uh, pack would have would be 2 o'clock, according to the current schedule, to get the repairs made in time for it to get out there and be competitive and run. And it wants to run because those high point standings are very much in doubt, and the Weisfields is going out there to challenge with everything it's got in the heat coming up. Back again to the start line, the official tower with Ray and Mike. Thank you, Rod. Thank you very much. We're going to take a look now at that start. And, Mike, let's see if we can pick out exactly where everybody jumped the gun. They all jumped the gun except the Atlas. Yes, and you'll notice when you saw the Verners there just for a second, she was backing off the throttle. They all were aware that they were too soon. You see, it's a kind of a confused start, straggling. Uh, the pay impact, of course, coming on very, very hard, and the Budweiser already jumping the gun. At that moment, they didn't know that they did uh, jump the gun officially. Now you see the Budweiser cut across as they go into the corner. The pay impact already damaged at this moment. Now, uh, the damage you see uh, that we had on it was all, had already occurred by this time. It occurred during the dicing before the start of the heat. The Budweiser, the early one to drop out. The pay impact continuing to lead it. At this time, we discovered then that the Atlas Van Lines was the only legal starter. She was running physically third at the moment. Then the Budweiser dropped out. She's physically second. And uh, the confusion went on from there. And the pay impact was the only finisher with 400 points, but she's got a... Uh about an eight-inch gash, as you saw in the, the upper part of the Sponson, I believe. That's right. We might add at this time that we received word from the Coast Guard, and they asked our cooperation in this, that people who, are, who may be watching on the log boom are requested to swim on the other side of the boom away from this race course. Some apparently were in the water at the start of that heat, and apparently the Miss Budweiser nearly nailed one. Well, that would be a tragedy. But, again, repeat, if you are watching on a television out there on the log boom, or if you see someone in the water out there, keep them on the other side, away from the, the course itself. There's a Coast Guard helicopter that's hovering around there trying to uh, uh, scurry people in, but use some common sense uh, for crying out loud. Uh, if the, the Budweiser driver complained about almost hitting a swimmer, uh, you're getting a little too, uh, a little too carried away as a spectator. Give these boys a break out there. They're having enough trouble as you see already, without uh, trying to dodge around swimmers. I'm interested to see what this fellow you're looking at right now will do. This is Jack Schaefer, son of the Great Such Crust campaigner. The Great Such Crust boats have been out here for years and years and years. And this is his first ride in an unlimited hydroplane as a qualified driver. And if the tradition of the Great Schaefers of Detroit continues, this fellow should be one day one of the better ones. But but realistically, what kind of boat has he got under it? Okay, realistically, Ray, it's not going to be uh, his day to be one of the great ones today, I don't think, because uh, the Miss Vance PX is an older hull designed by Chuck Hickling. Bob Patterson has campaigned it before uh, as Van PX in years past. In fact, Mickey Reeman got his uh, driving start in Unlimited in that boat. It's been around a little too long to expect too much out of. Well, there's the boat to beat. There's no doubt about that. Billy Shoemaker and a Miss Wisefield. 
The great thing about this crew, and Billy is very happy to have this situation occurring, he has Jerry Zubich as his boat manager, who was his crew chief on the Miss Bardo in the great days of 67 and 68. He also has the talents of another good fellow from the Bardall team, Gary Crawford, who crew chiefs several other boats along the line, but they've gotten back together again. That was just the five-minute gun that we heard. I tell you, it's a little spooky out here this year, folks. I mean, we were right on top of the boats, and we are right on top of that cannon. All right, we'll be back with more live coverage of Seafair Trophy Race 1975 after this time out. 1B, all four boats are out of the course running, and they are, of course, the Wisefields, the Lincoln Thrift, the Miss U.S., and the Vans PX. A four-boat race, Mike. Yes, and it should be a very good one, assuming the start isn't confusing and a few other things go down right. But uh, it should be a very good uh, boat race. The uh, U.S. and the Lincoln Thrift put on a tremendous duel in the Tri-Cities, and this boat right here, the chase together, really can give you something to watch. Is he riding, uh, that's uh, the Vans PX. It looks like he's riding awfully high in the cockpit. Maybe uh, something's going on there we don't know about. To check into that. The one you're looking at now is the Lincoln Thrift, and this is one that uh, interests me as we watch Wisefields negotiate the lower corner. The Lincoln Thrift on your screen, uh, they've had directional stability problems. As uh, designer Ron Jones has said, it's inherent in the hull. Something has to be done about it, but it can't be done during the season. It has to be done uh, uh, during the off-season when they can make the repairs necessary. They have tried to compensate for the squirrely activity of that boat in the corners, however, by those twin tail arrangements on either side of the horizontal stabilizer. And that's a lot of area, a vertical stabilizer on each side. You notice the U.S. also a Ron Jones boat on your screen now has uh, much less vertical area on the, uh, the guys on the outside of her horizontal stabilizer. The Vance PX has the uh, regular traditional uh, vertical stabilizer coming right off the cowling. And in fact, the, the area on the Lincoln Thrift that you can see now uh, on the tail fins is approximately the same as is on the Vance PX and some of the other boats that Ron Jones has designed. And uh, he hopes that they will have the same effect. But this boat gets very loose in the corners, has a tendency to skid to the right some. And Milner Urban, frankly, Ray, is concerned about this race course, particularly the entrance to the north corner and the holes that Mr. Muncy has told you about uh, occurring uh, with the roller activity off the bridge and off the log loop. So we'll have to keep a real close eye on Milner. He's got a few things to think about today. As you see, we've got a oh, little over a minute to go before the, uh, the start of Heat 1B. Again, running down the field, the U-74, the uh, gold and red Wisefield. The Lincoln Thrift, the U-55, she's sort of a lemon yellow if you're watching in color. The red and white Miss U.S., the U-2, and the brownish yellow U-80 Vans PX. 27 shades of persimmon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How is the Miss U.S. for cornering? Uh, much improved over last year, Ray. The boat uh, is using one of these deep left-turn skeg fins that hangs off the left sponsor. Maybe we can take a look at that in the pit area later on today uh, and explain what that is all about. But uh, it's cornering very well. Right, here they come out of the north turn with Lake Washington in the background. The Lake Washington floating bridge in the background. Three boats are coming down with the Vans PX way back. In the middle is the Miss U.S. And the extreme inside is the Wisefield. And on the extreme outside is the Lincoln Trip. It's a legal start, a legal start, good start. It was a fair start, but they held back a little bit to look for it first. 
Well, the Miss U.S. in lane three has the lead, slamming into the south turn on the extreme inside is the Wisefields. Closing ground, and on the outside is the Lincoln Thrift, and dead in the water, never did start, is the Vans PX. The U-80 is dead in the water right at the start-finish line, and hopefully she'll get out of the way. She's about in lane four, maybe lane five. So going up the backstretch, you see the leader, the Miss U.S., Tom Deeth, the driver. The number two boat is the Wisefields, trying to close ground. And the number three boat, about the same distance back, about ten boat lengths, is the Lincoln Trip. One, two, three. Miss U.S., Wisefields, Lincoln Trip. You know, as you watch the Miss U.S. coming up that back chute just a few seconds ago, something was flapping in the cockpit. It looked possibly like the strap of the uh, the deceleration parachute that Tom Deeth wears in this boat, and he was having a little trouble trying to keep it in the cockpit from blowing around in his face, it appeared. That green and yellow buoy, if you're watching in color, is the exit buoy for the north turn. And this is lap one of Heat 1B with your leader, the Miss U.S. That's the number three boat, the Lincoln Trip, just coming out of the north turn. There's your leader. The Miss U.S. has opened ground on the Weissfields. The Miss U.S. has opened considerable ground on the Wisefield, and she is leading and dominating this race so far. Note in the cockpit now, Ray, something's still flapping around right in front of Tommy's face out there. It could be a little bit to the left side of the cockpit. It, uh, he appears to occasionally reach up and try to pull it back into the cockpit. I wonder what that is. Well, whatever it is, it hasn't hindered his speed at a 120.160. Our unofficial timer, Frangitis, says 120.160 for the Miss U.S. and Tommy D. Here's your leader of the second lap of Heat 1B going into the north turn, the Miss U.S. Notice the effect of that left turn skeg, too, Ray, because that water coming off the left side of the boat now, the far side of the boat, is actually coming up from that left turn skeg, which establishes a rail, more or less. You can see it, actually, under the boat as it bounces there. It establishes something of a rail to hold the boat in its cornering attitude. Something just went on the something U.S. Something on the U.S. She's going dead in the water. And here comes the Wisefields to take advantage of it. So the Wisefields has taken the lead. On this, the start of lap three. But the Miss U.S. with a time of 119.363. She went 120 plus and then 119 plus and then she did not go again. At the beginning of lap three, the Miss U.S. went dead in the water. Tommy Deeth is out on the sponson waving. He wants a tow in. We've got a two-boat race. We've got the Wisefields in the lead. We've got the Lincoln Thrift number two. The Wisefields time is 116.129, and Billy Shoemaker, if he holds this boat together, is going to have this one. Something interesting about the Miss U.S., she has not broken very often on the 1975 circuit. In fact, this probably uh, in competition is one of the few times that it has happened. And Tom Deeth has to be very disappointed because he had a real wide open lead. And you're looking at the leader, Billy Shoemaker, in the Miss Wisefields, the U-74. Looks like she's coasting comfortably now. This is lap three. He's in the north turn coming out, and he is the sole leader. He's got all about an eighth of the course lead over the Lincoln Thrift, the only other boat that is on the course at this time. So in other words, the Wisefields is slamming out of the north turn, while the Lincoln Thrift, as you look, is going into the north turn. Actually, Billy 
Charlie Shoemaker has something of a cakewalk right now, and he's going to get some points the easy way against the Pride of Payampak. It doesn't change anything toward the National High Point race because if she picks up 400 points here, the Payampak has 476 points. We'll still separate. But the Payampak has another little thing to remember, and that's about an 8-inch gash in her sponson. And what's this stuff we're talking about filling up that hole with you? Well, it depends on exactly which way they decide to go, but they can uh, heat up the fiberglass and see if they can't patch the hole. Fortunately, it's high enough on the sponson so it does not affect the actual riding attitude of the boat. But can they get it done in time to hold it together so the inspectors will say, yes, I think that's safe enough to go with? Well, if anybody can do it, Jim Lucero can do it because the super wrench is about the top mechanic in the pits <laughs> anywhere. That guy can really work miracles. There's your leader, the Wisefields. You're in lap four now. Wisefields turned lap three at 102.975. She slowed down considerably. The Miss U.S. had the lead in lap one at 120 plus. She had the lead in lap two at 119 plus. The start of lap three, she went dead in the water, and the Wisefields took advantage of it. Billy Shoemaker's now coasting around to the completion of lap four. got the lake all to himself. He's going in the south turn as the Lincoln Thrift comes out of the north turn. Maybe we can catch it. There she is. That's the Lincoln Thrift coming out of the north turn. And oh, about a, almost a half a course lead. The Wisefields going into the, coming out of the south turn. One twelve point five zero zero. Unofficial time for the Wisefields in lap four. One 12.500. Remember, five laps, not six. Twelve and a half miles, not 15. Five laps. The uh, Lincoln Thrift actually is running about seven or eight miles an hour under the Wisefields right at the moment. Milner Irvin, realizing the situation, does not have to press it and will not. And uh, there's Billy getting some rough ride uh, out of that uh, entrance pin to the north corner, which is more or less the critical part on this race course. Quite a bit of roller activity. Lincoln Thrift finishing that last lap at 105.140 miles an hour. And again, we repeat, it was a legal start for this heat. Now we'll see if they get the checkered flag right. The checkered flag is out. There's your winner. This Wisefields has won heat 1B. So the Wisefields picks up 400 points. The only other boat out on the course is the Lincoln Thrift. And she will finish, obviously, second. You might recall last year, Ray, the Lincoln Thrift came out to race the Gold Cup out at Sand Point. And on the morning of the race, picked in the fast flight, they withdrew the boat. So. Okay, so the Wisefields is the winner of Heat 1B. And we'll be back with more live coverage here on King TV in just a moment. Well, quite a few things are very much uncertain at this point after the completion of both sections of Heat 1. But uh, one thing that is certain is that hot point race is still going on between the pay and pack and the wise fields. And also, a hot race is still going on as to who's going to be the winner of this race. Each one has chalked up the 400 points and the repairs that must be made quickly to the little hole in the sponson, big enough, uh, may be the telling point in the pay and pack's race to uh, stay out there in front of the wise fields, both for this championship and the point standings. Mike Rhodes has word in the pits. 
Well, I have word now that Billy Schumacher is just about to come onto the Finger Pier now. The crew members are out talking with him. The, the uh, uh, crew chief is on the boat with him. He's uh, discussing strategy with him. I want to ask him what really happened insofar as the, the trouble that actually developed. The owner just went by also. Les is going out to congratulate Billy Schumacher because to me it appeared that Billy was in a pretty good position to start closing when the U.S. had trouble. True, the trouble did give him a, a, a little uh, uh, push there and, and uh, made it a little bit easier. But from this very poor vantage point, it did appear that uh, Billy was in a position to start closing on U.S. At least he was pushing hard, and that might be one of the reasons for the U.S.'s problem. He knew that Billy Schumacher was back there, and whenever that lad's on your coattails, you don't dilly-dally. You just keep on going. Uh, maybe he did violate the Satchel Page rule and, and look back. And Satch was right. Don't look back because somebody may be gaining on you. That's exactly what was happening. Schumacher coming into that turn up there appeared to have a, a pretty good position. And sure enough, as soon as U.S. had the, tr the trouble, he pulled out in front. Well, those are the fortunes of hydroplane racing, and they all know it when they go out there, and that's what really makes the race. They can change from moment to moment, and that really is what adds the thrill to the hydroplane racing business, because it is a, a do your best and, and uh, let the fortunes fall where they may. Billy Schumacher is one of the, as a matter of fact, next to Bill Munsey, Billy Schumacher is the winningest hydroplane driver in the business today. Did you know that? A lot of people did. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything brand new. But here comes Billy now, and he's shaking hands with, with uh, Bernie Little, who is coming over to congratulate him now. And after they've had their little words, because these camps work pretty close together, and uh, after they've had their word, then I think we of the press will have our chance at Billy, too. There is a wall of human flesh between me and Billy at the moment, and I won't dare try to go through that. But I'm sure we'll all have equal shot at him when he does come out. So... Billy Shoemaker is just about to come now. Billy, it seemed to me that you had a good position to start moving when he had his trouble. Were you just about to start to close? Uh, not really, because it looked to me like he was over the line by about three seconds. And from what I, where I was sitting, he was. You now, thought he had a bad start? It looked to me like he jumped the gun, and I didn't see the clock blacked out, so I was going to try to go after him a little bit. But then I thought, well, I'll just slowly pull the pressure on because I wanted to finish the darn race. You know, I've been having trouble. Uh, getting no points. But you were pushing so hard. Could that be the reason he came out? He came in with trouble like that? Did he know you were back there that close? Well, I'm sure that had something to do with it. And the wide turns probably did also. It's very hard on equipment. I can tell you that from uh, that heat. Did the repairs you made from last week do the job for you? Were, you? were you running as well as you wanted? Well, no, not really. I think we're going to make a small change for the next heat. But they'll have to look at the engine to see how it uh, performed that time. They can tell by looking at the spark plugs and so on. We'll see a lot more of you today. Congratulations, Billy, and, and uh, that puts 400 points in your pocket. And uh, the, the closeness still exists, 79 points between you. Yeah, uh, I in hope fact, the outcome is, is reversed from where it is right now. A lot of racing left to go. Congratulations. Yeah. Billy Schumacher, the winner of this seat, and he still has the competition going for him between his boat, the uh, Weisfield, and the pay and back. Only 79 points. I said earlier in the day, and I still stick by it, that's going to be the contest all day long. That's about it from here, Rod, please. All right, and of course, uh, what we want to find out is how many of these boats are going to be operable, like the ones that conked out in uh, Heat 1A. We, where does Ham's Bear sit? Where does the Verners sit? Uh, how's Muncie's Atlas Van Lines? What's going to happen with the uh, Vans PX? And J poor Jack Schaefer never got into the race. I don't think he made it across the starting line, which was unfortunate. 
And, uh, of course, Lincoln Thrift and uh, Wise Fields uh, managed to run the full five laps, which was uh, better than anybody did in Heat uh, 1A, in other words, that, that, that they at least had two boats running at the start and finish. Now, here's our other pit reporter, Marty Wyatt. Well, I'm standing beside the Miss U.S. waiting for driver Tom Deeth to come out because, of course, the, the U.S. was leading in the Heat 1B until something happened with the engine. We're trying to find out. Uh, driver Tom Deeth just went out to the other end of the finger pier. He was on his way in, and we're waiting for him. It should take a couple of minutes. Uh, of course, the turbo-powered Allison have had problems before with dependability, and once again, the boat running well, and they don't know what happened. We're going to wait for Tom Deeth to come, and he should be here in just a minute. Tom, Tom Deeth. Uh, he's standing out talking with the uh, boat owner and the crew chief right now. There's a fireboat beside it, too, and there was some smoke coming out of the end of the boat near the engine as they brought it up and were starting to hoist it up to put it on its trailer. So there may be a fire hazard here also. I can see the fireboat, and everybody is anxiously watching and cautiously watching, in fact. I, I think we have a story here. The boat was running well and actually had the lead in front of the wise field. Here's the crew chief here. Jim! Uh, and he's walking back, too. It's going to be a couple of minutes before they come out on the end of the, this end of the finger pier, and we can't seem to get to them right now at this time. They're just lifting the boat up, and some of the crew members are beside the engine uh, compartment trying to detect where the smoke was coming from. There was some smoke issuing out of it right now, and I think they're reaching for some tools or a fire extinguisher. I guess we won't be able to get to the driver or the crew chief right now, so Rod, I'll go back to you, but as soon as I get the word on the status of the U.S., if they will be racing again today, I'll get back to you. Okay, and they should be racing again in 45 minutes if everything stays on schedule. So just to apprise you of what's going on in the schedule department, uh, it'll be uh, 1.30 for Heat 2A and 2 o'clock for Heat 2B. And we'll be back with more of the action here at the Seafair Racecourse 75 right after this. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of episode 76. It sure was fun to hear some of those voices again, hear those boats out on the water, and man, do we miss racing here. Come back tomorrow, though, Saturday, August 7th, at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, as we will release part two of episode 76, which will have the next round of heats, a little recap of the events of the day, as well as a preview for the final heat of the 1975 Seafair Regatta. I do want to remind our listeners before we go, if you haven't if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, please do so. I know most of our listeners are on Apple Podcast. So if you're on Apple Podcast, please rate and review the show. It means a lot to me to see the feedback from the fans as we continue to grow our podcast. I hope to see you back here tomorrow for part two of the episode. So until then, I hope to see you at the races.